Hi, and welcome to episode two of my ongoing fiction podcast. Uh, this is part two of Fetch. Uh, I dropped part one a couple of weeks ago, and uh, due to various things, I didn't quite drop it last week like I had hoped to, but that's okay. I do plan on trying to get these out weekly where possible. So, yeah, this is just an update. This story was inspired by Every Photo Tells. This part was not a podcast over there because I hadn't written it at that point. I really was inspired by the characters and the situation and wanted to write a part two and fully flesh out the story. The entire story is available both at my at my own site, uh, scottroche.com slash bookstore, and it's also available on its own from Amazon, Smashwords, and as part of the Thurgoss Darkly anthology. The uh, other stories uh, in that anthology will be my uh, subsequent podcast episodes, and after that we'll probably pick up with some short stories that I have written for other things, novellas that I've written for other things. I'm looking forward to podcasting some of the stuff that uh, Zach Ricks and I did together in our in our shared universe. I'm also looking forward to dropping short stories in my Children of Legend series, uh, the first three of which are on Amazon.com, and I plan on dropping a 10 to 12,000 word novella, novelette, a month in the year 2012, so I'll be podcasting those as I can. Uh, probably we'll be getting other people to do some of the voice work for that. If you're interested, drop me an email at scott at scottroche.com. Uh, I've got some people that are definitely interested, um, So, and I'm trying to uh, offload as much of the work on the audio side as I can because of my work at Fly Island Press and my continued desire to write, but I love to narrate, so I will be reading some of this stuff as well. Uh, but I love to give people an opportunity to do some voice work if they don't have podcasts of their own but are trying to get into the uh, world of podcasting. And so, uh, so yeah, uh, drop me a line. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to stretch this out any more than I have to. But I'll just say that I hope you guys had a wonderful holiday, and that I, I'm hoping that this new year has a lot in store, a lot of good stuff in store. So with that, here's the story, and let me know if you enjoy it. Scott at scottroche.com, or drop a uh, comment in the comments over at the blog, and we'll see you next time. Fetch. Part 2. Part of Through a Glass Darkly by Scott Roche. Ian cracked his eyes open. Sunlight streamed in through the windows. It was almost enough to make him want to close them again. He felt the beginnings of a truly epic headache. And he would have too, except that he wasn't entirely sure where he was. He sat up slowly and saw that he was covered in a patchwork of soft blues and yellows. The bed was narrow, almost too narrow. If he'd tossed and turned at all, as he usually did, he would have fallen right out. Here he was, though, on this strange bed, head hurting and still a little thinner in the edges. What happened? Then he remembered the activities of the cemetery last night, falling asleep in Coleman's car. After that, everything was a blur. He half remembered being carried like a little baby. 
A soft knock on the door would hopefully bring an answer to the second question. Come in! He winced at his own volume. The door opened, and Erin walked through. Morning, Father. Or should I say afternoon? That answered the where. He must be in the rooms attached to the green man. He cradled his head in his hands and noticed that he was dressed in his own flannel pyjamas. Someone had changed him. Without looking up, thus sparing his headache, he said, Morning, Erin. How did I come to grace your final establishment? Erin laughed, a musical sound. Coleman brought you last night. He got some of your things from the parish house when he couldn't wake you. The clink of crockery made him bring his head up. She was settling a tray in place with a small tea service. It smelled lovely. That was good of him. He took a warm cup in his hands and breathed in the steam. Thank you, Erin. You're welcome. Are you going to be all right? I hope so. My head feels like it's about to split wide open and I feel not tired so much as worn out. Erin brought up a chair beside the bed. What happened last night, Father? He sipped the tea before answering. The slight bitterness helped him focus. I'm not sure I can fully explain it to you. I'm not sure I understand it myself. There was something evil out in that cemetery. I hope that it's gone for good, thanks to some work Jared and I did. He remembered the warm feeling and tried to recapture it, but it was gone, as was the chill. She crossed herself. From your lips to God's ears. Ian had a sudden thought. What about Jared? Where's he? I don't know, Father. Coleman may have dropped him off at his house before you came here. I can ask. No, that's all right. He sipped at the tea again. I'll get dressed and go and visit him. He sat the teacup down and swung his legs out from under the quilt. Getting up proved to be a little bit of a challenge. His body just didn't want to react as quickly as it usually did. Do I need to call the doctor? Don't think so, Erin. No. What would he tell her? I was attacked by a demon? I think I was just a little too long in the cold yesterday. Well, I'll leave you to your preparations. If you need anything, just ring. She pointed at the phone on the nightstand. Bless you, Erin. Thank you. He stood up and hobbled to the bureau. Erin tsked as she closed the door behind her. Ian laughed at her concern. If only you knew. He rested a hand on each side of the dresser and looked at his reflection. What he saw there froze him. It wasn't just the need for a shave or the silver hair he knew wasn't there yesterday. The eyes that looked back at him flashed inky black for just a split second. The echo of a laugh, one that he heard yesterday and too much like his own, sounded at the back of his mind. He blinked hard and scrubbed across his face with one flannel-covered forearm. When he looked again, only scared blue eyes were there. The fetch wasn't gone. Or maybe this was just residual damage from whatever it had done to him yesterday. He needed to find out. If the creature, whether it was a ghost or demon or something else he didn't have a word for, was still able to come after him, he didn't have much time. And what was worse, if it took him, it would get Jared next. 
Getting dressed was a struggle, but the more he moved, the faster he got, and soon he was back in his clothes from yesterday. He felt slightly grungy, missing a shower and a fresh change of clothes. Nothing to help that now, though. Minutes later, and he was on the street outside the pub. His car was nowhere to be found, but Jared was staying in a house nearby. If the man felt anything like Ian did, he was taking a sick day. As he walked, he let his mind wander over the events of yesterday and how he reacted. That's all he had done. React. He needed a plan. Trying the ritual to re-sanctify the graveyard had seemed like a good idea at the time. Maybe he should have tried an exorcism instead. He didn't know everything that involved, and suspected that most priests in this day and age didn't. Once he had seen Jared, he would call Father Jose, a Jesuit who had taught him in the seminary. If anyone would believe him and perhaps know what was happening, it would be him. These thoughts busied him until he arrived at Jared's house. Ian knocked loudly on the bright red door and waited. And he was about to knock again when he heard movement inside. Come in, come in. Jared opened the door. Hold your gut, he stopped in mid-word. Oh, hello, Ian. His friend looked every bit as bad as Ian felt. He was swaddled in a robe in what appeared to be three layers of clothes. A wool cap knitted from an obscenely coloured orange and yellow wool, complete with ear flaps and a pom-pom, was jammed in his head. You look frightful. Well, you don't look so good yourself, my man. Come in. Jared stepped aside. Ian walked down the short hallway, following it to the living room beyond. The television was on in the corner, a newsreader sharing the plights of the universe with no one in particular. He sat down on a well-worn couch and sighed deeply. Jared sat in an equally battered chair. I'd offer you a cup of tea or something, but I just haven't had the energy to get up much this morning. I'm just glad we're on holiday at the moment. That's okay. I just wanted to come by and see how you were dealing with last night. Well enough, I suppose. I guess the cold got to me a little more than I thought it would. Us southern boys aren't acclimated to this kind of weather. I'm probably just coming down with a cold. Ian sat up straight. Cold? What about what we saw last night? Jared shrugged. Blowing snow and you mumbling a few prayers? Nothing terribly world-shaking. What about seeing my double and you jumping to my rescue? Ian leaned into his friend. Jared shook his head. What rescue? And what double? Sorry, Ian, I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. What's the last thing you remember? Well, he looked down at his feet. You started to bless the cemetery. He paused and the room filled with silence like a toxic gas. Jared looked around the room like he had lost something important. Then I remember waking up in Coleman's squad car. Doesn't that strike you as a little odd? It does, yeah. So, we saw your double last night after all? Jared stood without waiting for an answer. He began to look around the small room, picking up knick-knacks and looking at them curiously. You wouldn't think I'd forget something like that. Concern filled Ian. Could the direct encounter with the fetch have hurt the man? Have you misplaced something, Jared? Jared stopped walking and looked at Ian. I seem to... Though, God help me, I, I don't know what. Ian stood and crossed to his friend. This is going to sound a little 
bizarre, but we did see my double. It was a ghost or a demon or something like that. I was able to fight it and maybe drive it off, but you actually tried to tackle it. Oh, that doesn't sound like me at all. Vin Diesel, I'm not. He rubbed his chin and scanned the floor. I need to find it, he muttered. Jared, look at me. Ian snapped his fingers loudly by Jared's ear. That brought them eye to eye. What you've lost is your memory, a piece of yourself. The fetch couldn't take your soul, but I think touching it did something to you. It did something to me too. I think it damaged my soul. He remembered the ripping feeling. It hadn't been a physical sensation really, but it had hurt all the same. Add that to what he saw in the mirror, and a creeping horror began working its way into his centre. Jared laughed. <laughs> Sorry, Ian. Something that doesn't exist can't damage something that doesn't exist. I'll forgive you that. That's your business, isn't it? Ian's face flushed. Where's this coming from? He and Jared had a few discussions about religion at the Green Man, but it had always been cordial. Me. Jared's head snapped up and his eyes were filmed over with blackness. I have tied up the man and taken his house. It was rather easy, actually. Ian took a step backwards. His hand went for the pocket of his slacks. Looking for that pesky little medal, are we, father? I think you'll find it on the floor of the Gardai's car. It was easy enough for me to take it from your pocket while you were sleeping. Jared took a step towards Ian. It was true. There was no St. Michael's medal or rosary in his pants. He was so out of sorts that he hadn't noticed. What do you want, Fetch? Jared tisked. That is not who I am. Mora, what, actually? At least that's what the natives of this blighted island have called my kind for too long to remember. He slipped a hand into his robe and pulled out a straight razor. I'm going to have to be a little more crude about following through on my mission. It's not my idea. After all, I only have you to blame. Why me? Why Mr. Caffrey? Why me? Why me? If I had a pence for every time I heard that. Jared opened the straight razor, light gleaming from its edge. Does it really matter? Now just hold still and this won't hurt nearly as much as if you struggle. Ian's brain scrambled for something to latch onto. He had no holy water, no sacramentals, nothing to ward this creature off. Jared! Jared, can you hear me? Jared laughed. Oh, he can hear you. He can see everything that's going on. And when they find him covered in your blood and gibbering, remembering everything he and I did to you, that sweetness will more than make up for the inconvenience you put me through. Bile rose to the back of Ian's throat. He didn't know if the thing occupying Jared's body was telling the truth or not, but the horror of the situation was unimaginable. He crossed himself. Oh, Lord, my God, I now, at this moment, readily and willingly accept at your hands whatever kind of death it may please you to send me, with all its pains, penalties and sorrows. Amen. Given up? Good. Now, just hold on and I will release you from these bonds of flesh. Wait, wait, Ian held out a hand. If you kill me, how will you gain my soul? I've repented and confessed my sins. When I die, I shall go to God, not to your vile courts. You have no power over me. 
Jared paused and grinned. Useless repentance and a petty confession of words only. Prior to yesterday, you didn't truly believe in evil, beyond perhaps the evil that one man shows another. The blade flashed out and kissed Ian's palm. He hissed and felt metal slice skin. He knew the cut wouldn't be deep as he watched the blood patterned on the carpet. There was remarkably little pain. You did not know the depths of your own depravity. Images filled his mind. He saw the supple curves of Erin's body. He had often watched her move around the bar and wondered what it would be like to be with her, to know her as other men could. Did that thought sadden him, that no woman could ever be his? He felt dark, spectral fingers probe his being. He found himself wishing more than once for a normal life. He wanted a job that he could come and go from, leaving it at the end of the day. It would be wonderful to afford a new car or travel to the best vacation spots. As it was, he was chained to the church, day in, day out, listening to the bleatings of his parishioners. They shared with him their tired lives and petty sins, and who did he have to come home to at the end of the day to share his life with? So close, but still petty things. The fingers probed more deeply, looking for the nugget they knew they would find. That's not to say his job wasn't important. People did look up to him. After all, if he weren't there, then people wouldn't receive the grace that he was able to bestow to them. Who would give them the fatherly advice tinged with good humour he was so adept at? Because he was so well-loved, attendance had nearly doubled in the last year, along with the giving. That was his doing. Ian struggled to resist the invasion. He knew all these sins were in him. He did not know the depths he had sunk to in his own mind. His soul was just as unclean as any other. His head snapped up. Jared stood close enough to kiss. His black eyes reflected nothing, drawing all light into them. You see, priest, your heart is as black as this one's. He thumped himself on the chest. Why would your God forgive you? It was true. All of those sins were his and more. An image of himself in the Holy Father's robes of office being adored by thousands overlaid his vision of reality. There was so much good that he could do. And all that power, he could change the world, really use the power of the church to build a kingdom. His kingdom. Ian shook his head. There is no reason for God to forgive me. I've shown myself to be a creature of impure appetites and plagued by desires for things a man of God must resist, even the temptation for. Too often I've given in to those desires. His shoulders, his heart, every part of his body felt tired, ready to give up. In that weakness, he found strength. He reached out and poked Jared right in the centre of his chest. But that's what his grace is for. For a moment his body lightened. It is sufficient to cover even the darkest sins. Really? Even murder? I've killed no one. Ian was confused. He was a man of peace. He always had been. You are responsible for the death of Angus Caffrey as anyone is. He came to us without resistance. You, his teacher and confessor, had not prepared him for the reality of our existence. He was filled with the superstition and ignorance of his forefathers. When confronted with that, what did you do? You made an empty promise, one you neither believed in the necessity nor the efficacy of. Guilt seized Ian's heart. It was true. 
From the first moment that Caffrey mentioned what he saw, there had been little more than suspicion in his heart. There was no thought that it had been anything real or dangerous, something that would need to be guarded against. Then there had been his actions, or lack thereof. Even after Caffrey's death, the whole affair was slapdash. His education when it came to protecting both himself and the people in his care from this sort of attack was woefully inadequate. He was responsible for the man's death, however indirectly. His few successes had more to do with accidents and broad strokes. The power that saved his and Jared's life had been from the sacraments and not from his faith. He did find his faith strengthened by the events of the last 24 hours, but was that really faith? Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. Here, father. Jared closed the razor and held it out. As much fun as it might be to cut you to ribbons, perhaps I should let you take care of yourself. You're already bound for hell. Sometimes it's more fun to punch your own ticket. Ian's hand went out as if it were not a pilot. He felt the bit of plastic and metal fill it. It doesn't hurt. Not really. The blade cuts deep and swift. Tendrils wormed deeper into the core of Ian's being. There they found despair. That had always been his heaviest load. Throughout growing up in seminary and the rest of his life, it had been the one sin he had the hardest time confessing. He chalked it up to depression. The world was full of it these days, and why not? The world had become a depressing place. Still, none of the counselling or checkups he'd received indicated a physical or psychological cause. He was encouraged to seek joy in Christ, and that never seemed to come. He opened the razor, looking at its shining edge. It would be easy enough to just make the first cut. Father, give me strength in this time of despair. New images came to his head. He saw the christening that he would miss tomorrow. There was the Kelly wedding next month. Seeing them married after all they had gone through would be a true blessing. Then there was the growth he would experience from what he had learned about the reality of supernatural evil. As easy as it would be to give in to the pain, whatever its cause, it would be tragic to miss being in the lives of those he loved, and to miss out on helping his flock grow. With a sudden, violent action, he threw it across the room. No, I won't do it! He breathed sharply in. I may be responsible for Caffrey's death, but I won't take my own life. I will subject myself to whatever punishment the church deems necessary. I will make what amends I can and bear my burdens as best I can, and with the Lord's help... I'll get through it. Jared's fist flew out, but Ian bobbed to the left and it passed by his ear harmlessly. The priest's own hand connected with his friend's soft stomach. He heard air whoosh out of Jared's mouth. He had learned a few things from his pugilist of the father. Sorry, Jared. Ian felt better. The weight wasn't completely gone. Maybe it never would be, but taking his own life wasn't the answer. Resorting to the physical now, are you? The fetch had gone from using raw power to wrench his soul away to trickery and deception, and now was using Jared like a puppet. He hoped that meant the thing was on the ropes. You drove the old man to kill himself, didn't you? Yes, Jared wheezed. A little poison in that last cup of brandy-laced tea, and I welcomed him to eternity. Ian wanted to weep for the man's lost soul. Well, there was no time for mourning now, though. 
Come out of Jared's body, you unclean spirit. In the name of Christ, I compel you. Jared twitched, and then he slumped to the floor. From it, as though from his very pores, a grimy, sooty smoke poured, coalescing into a dim shadow before him. This time, the fetch didn't look like a man. It barely looked like anything at all. Well, that didn't mean it wasn't dangerous, though. He needed to be careful. The fetch's voice, lacking a human larynx to lend it tone and pitch, came to him as a psychic whisper. You think yourself strong now, man. You think you or your friends are safe. Ian shook his head. I know that none of us are safe. St. Peter warned us about the lion that roams, seeking to devour us. Your attack robbed me of a dear friend. I will pray for his soul. But it also warned me about your presence. You have failed, just as your master will ultimately fail. You speak of things you do not understand. You're right. I don't. At least not fully. I told Jared that my collar doesn't make me an expert in all things spiritual. I know where to look, though, and I have friends and colleagues whose faith is greater than mine, and who can teach me. You can't take me now, and until Jared sees the light, you've got no long-term interest in him. Ian felt the power begin to well up in him. He knew it wasn't his. He let go of all pride and trust in the things made by the hands of man. Those amulets had no power. It was faith, and that, from God, was the only weapon he had in his fight. Now go! He shouted. The oily smoke dissipated as though blown by a strong breeze. Ian rushed to Jared's side for the second time in twenty-four hours. The teacher was breathing. After a few seconds, his eyes fluttered open. You're a dangerous man to drink with, Ian. Jared's voice was tired and distant. Ian smiled down. Sorry about that. Are you going to be okay? I think I'm going a little crazy. I think I was taken over by someone or something. Either that or I had some really fucked up dream. Ian helped Jared sit up. It was no dream. What do you remember? No dream, huh? Well, then I need think I need to remap my idea of what this universe is all about. He stared off into the distance. I remember being in a place blacker than anything I've ever been to. It was more than just the absence of light. The dark was smothering. I think I heard screaming, though hearing isn't the right word. Sweat beaded on Jared's forehead. He began shivering. Where was I, Ian? Ian nodded. I don't know. Some version of hell, or maybe it was just a manifestation of the blackness that's in all of us. Come on, let's get you up off this floor. With Ian's help, he stood. Are we okay now? Am I out of the woods? Wild eyes looked into friendly ones. I think so. Oh, sorry, I can't do better than that. Another few seconds of grunting and Ian had Jared on his feet, one arm around him. Jared wasn't the only one whose ideas about reality needed remapping. Jared eased onto the couch and looked around him. I don't know that I'll ever feel safe here, or anywhere for that matter. Now, hold on there, Jared. We did live through this. We're both a little damaged, but we're alive and we know some things. Well, there's a lot more we don't know, but at least we know that we don't know. Well, that's a good place to start, isn't it? 
I suppose. You're no stranger to research. Neither am I. We're going to need to do a lot of that. He knew that Jared would need something to focus on other than what had transpired over the last 24 hours. Hopefully appealing to the rational part of his mind would help hold him together. We? Well, sure, we. This happened to both of us and we need to figure out what's going on. The fetch is gone for now, maybe for good. I don't know why it singled me out. I think that's what's going on, though. It attacked Caffrey to get to me. It attacked you to get to me. I don't know what the supernatural wants with a parish priest of a small town in Ireland, but it's going to get more than it bargained for, and I need your help. There was a new calm in Jared's eyes. He wiped the sweat away with the sleeve of his robe. You said something about it not having a long-term interest in me. He squinted at you. I was able to hear what you said from whatever it was where I was being held. But what did you mean by that? This was going to be the uncomfortable bit. That was an assumption on my part. If the fetch was a demon, as it appears, then he wouldn't be interested in your soul. What? Because I'm already damned? The sarcasm and anger dripped from his words. Ian shrugged helplessly. That's the way of it. It figured it already has you and can use you as it sees fit. Jared deflated a little. So, what if I just became a Catholic then? It's not that easy. I mean, you don't suddenly believe in God, do you? Jared shook his head. Well, there you go. As much as I'd love to wave my asperglum all over you and call you safe, it's not that simple. The image of him waving it like a wand seemed at once so sacrilegious and silly he almost laughed. It's about faith. The only reason I was able to defeat it was because of my faith. As weak as it is, it was enough. I'll help you, Ian. I may not have faith in your God, and I'm not entirely sure what went on here, but I do know I don't want it to happen to me or to anyone else. Maybe there's a natural explanation. Maybe not. Only way I can find out is to do some digging. It's not going to be safe. Oh, thanks, Ian. I figured that out. I've also figured out that you can't tell anyone else what happened here without looking like a crazy man, even amongst most of your religious friends. They probably don't believe in demons or ghosts any more than you did yesterday. They're all just stories until you have to face them. I'm your friend, and I won't have you go through this by yourself. I appreciate that. Jared stood a little shakily. Now, get out. Ian raised an eyebrow. S sorry Go on, go home or go to your church and get some rest. Pray, read, recharge your batteries. We're both going to need it for whatever comes next. Jared hugged himself. I think we're both as safe as we can be for now, and I need to process some of this and do some reading on my own. Fair enough. Ian stood, looked around this room. I pray the blessing of the Lord in this house and all who are in it. We need his protection and that of all the saints and angels to make it through what lies ahead. He turned to Jared. Belt and braces. The two men embraced briefly and then Jared walked in outside. There they could see the sun had begun to set, turning the sky beautiful shades of red and purple. You have been listening to Fetch, part two, part of Through a Glass Darkly, 
by Scott Roche. Narrated by Mick Bordet and Catherine Maymer. <laughs>